Well, guys, it is summer. It is full-on summer. I think we all feel that and realize that. <laughs> but we've picked this series for this summer because I think it's a, it's a perfect story to go through during the summer. One, because it is very much a story. And um, it's also got a lot of uh, plot twists. And uh, you'll see. I mean, some of you know there's a lot that goes on in this. It's not just one of those. And then they went over here and did this. It's, it's all around. There's, there's crazy stuff. So it'll keep you interested. And, uh, but I did feel like I was going to... I was praying this week, uh, and I don't always feel like this, but um, I want to encourage everyone pastorally, so put that in whatever category, however you feel like <laughs> what I'm about to say, I'm saying this pastorally, so you do with it what you will. I want to encourage everyone to take advantage of whatever you can take advantage of this summer regarding your family and time that you have, because it's, it's, it's a window of time where you can do more things. And um, those times are important, you know. So I just want to encourage everyone to take advantage of that stuff because the window closes quick. So during the summer, we're going to be going through what we're calling the story of David. And this is going to be straight out of First and Second Samuel. Today we're focusing on 1 Samuel 16. So if you want to read along, but it's not going to be quite the same as John where it's just chapter to chapter. It's going to be kind of some chunks. We may fill in some of the gaps with podcast stuff during the week and things like that, but you can always read along. We'll always have the scripture up there um, as we go through and we're preaching and stuff like that. This week is 1 Samuel 16. Next week, Avi's going to take us through kind of the main, Avi Mizraki is going to be joining us, which is kind of awesome because he's going to talk about David and Goliath, kind of the most famous David story, Bible story. And he's a he's an like he's literally an Israelite. He's a, he's a Jewish man living in Israel. He's from it. Like you know, it's pretty awesome to have that guy talking to us about that story. So you don't want to miss that. But we're going to be going through kind of the life of David and pulling out some major themes. But the the major theme for this day and the title is about God. God sees the heart. And this is from the main verse of this section we're going to go through. And it's the memory verse for the kids. You know, and so I actually think that that's a good guiding principle for this whole summer is a reminder that no matter how we look at things, God looks at the heart. And that's not always the same thing. They're not always different. Like with Jesus, if you looked at his heart, you'd be like, yeah, it's the same guy all the way through. You know, for us, there's a lot of, you know, difference. So it's a good reminder. God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at things the way really we do, because you're going to see a lot of confusing things in this longer story of David. Um, and I think that uh, it also invites us to look at ourselves as we go through this story. Um, don't always totally want to do that because this is this is this thing that happened. It's about Israel. It's about David. It's not just about us. You know, it's not a metaphor. They go, oh yeah, I'm the same way. But what you can see through this is how uh, this is God interacting with people, and He interacts with us as well. So you can see some things in that, and so. Knowing that God looks at the heart weekly and as we're going through taking inventory of how are things in your heart or how are things in my heart. That's the kind of mindset I was thinking we could have this summer. And so I want you to uh, know where we are in the Bible here. So I have a Bible timeline that I, I kind of made. And it's, it's, you might need to make it full screen for the streaming people. It's, I had to make it big enough that you could or small enough you could fit it on there, but... You can see that this is the Old Testament that I kind of made a line. So 
as you can see with a note in the upper right, that like Jesus and everything in the New Testament is off this page, okay? But in case you don't know where we are, this is uh, um, the beginning would be creation, and then there's the flood with Noah and everything, and then there's a calling of Abraham, and then the time that they spent in Egypt. And I've got some Bible, um, Bible books at the bottom to kind of show you roughly ideas of where those books would be. Those aren't totally indicative. They're just, you know, like you could put them all in there if you wanted, but I just put these ones just to guide you. So we have the flood, we have Abraham, then we have the coming back out of the Exodus time frame with Moses and Joshua going into the land. And then we've, then the God enters into a place where like, you're in Israel now where I wanted you to be. And I'm going to rule as the king, me, God, going to rule as the king. But I have these judges and these prophets to kind of handle things on the ground. And then Israel's like, no, we want a real king like everybody else. And that's exactly where we're coming into this story. So you are here. And then you see other stuff just to keep in mind where we are in the Bible. The king thing doesn't go so well. The, the, the kingdoms fall apart. And then Israel, eventually Israel get exiles to Babylon. And then they do come back. And uh, then the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. And then you, we go into the New Testament where Jesus comes, which we just were going through. So I just wanted to make sure you know where we are, okay? The entire New Testament is off this screen. And so you, you see this thing, that God had called Israel to a special relationship with him, and it was working at, he was working out his plan to restore the world through the seed of Israel. Um, but being special is difficult. And so you see that Israel has this, like, calling, this special calling, but there's a lot of weight to that, you know? And... Um, they're led by judges, and you remember we went through Gideon last year. Gideon was one of these judges. There's like these, you know, strong, there's like Samson, we have Deborah, these other people that God would rise up. They would lead, but they weren't a king. God was the king, and they also had prophets that would speak on behalf of God and everything. But everybody kind of gets like uh, tired of that, and they go, you know, we want like a real king, like a king like all the other people have. And so you see this in First uh, Samuel 8. Finally, the elders of Israel, finally all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Samuel's prophet, the guy's name, namesake for the book. Look, they told him, you are now old <laughs> and your sons are not like you. They weren't good. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Now, I just said, you know, they're a special, this is a special group of people. They got a special relationship with God. God himself is their king. That sounds pretty cool to like us. We're like, man, that's pretty awesome, you know. And so, They, they're living that way, but then all of a sudden they're like, gosh, you know, I'd really like to just be like everybody else around us. I'd like to have a king. And before we get too critical of Israel, I think that we should ask ourselves, how often do we do the same thing? You know, how often do we not trust God and long to just be like everybody else we see online or wherever? And so God actually responds, you know, so he goes on, verse 6, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel, because Samuel's a prophet. He knows. You know, he's like, that's not what God wants. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all the people who are saying, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they've done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them, will claim as his rights. So, so what God does, this is an interesting thing. God's like, I don't think this is the best idea. I know it's not. Like, he's God. So when God's like, this isn't what I want, that's not what you want either. But we tend to argue, you know, if we're honest. 
You know, God's like, that's not what I want for you. And you're like, yeah, but I have a much better idea. I can give you the cliff notes on that one. You're wrong. But we, we do this all the time, you know. But God says, okay, like, I'll give you a king because you insist. And that does, this is something to ponder about God. That God would do that is interesting to me. That God would give them what they ask and insist on. And we're going to look at it at the end, like, what God does with that is pretty profound. But just think, you know, there's things that God gives us because we insist on them that he's not in, he doesn't want it all, but he'll still let that happen. But he warns them. He's like, guys, this kings aren't like, like I'm a I'm God and I, I I'm I'm a good king. Human kings aren't aren't good always, and they take things from you, and they do bad things, and they lead poorly, and they take your stuff, like <laughs> the best of all your stuff. And he warns them solemnly, as he says. <clears throat> and so, um, paraphrase what happens next. They say, but God says, okay, you want a king? I got a king for you. And he finds there's a man named Saul. And there's an interesting story there which you can read about how God tells Samuel to anoint Saul as the king. They keep referring to, like, why, and it's because Saul is tall, which is strange. <laughs> but God looks at the heart, I guess. And uh, anyway, Saul's taller than everybody. So there's an interesting story there about him chasing goats and encountering the prophet and him being anointed king and then standing in front of him. And then at first Saul does all right, you know, and he leads. He's like, finally we have somebody we can go fight with against these other kings around us. And... He does all right, but then what God says starts happening, and God gives him some specific instructions, and he disobeys them. And God doesn't like it when we do that. Another cliff note. God tells us to do something, and we don't do it. God doesn't like that. He's, 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 he's merciful and stuff, but it's not like he cares when he says to do something, and we go, yeah, I got a better idea. God doesn't like that. So God says, I want you to go wipe out this, and I want you to kill everything. All the animals and everything. He doesn't do that. You might go, yeah, but what's the big deal, you know? But God tells Samuel, like, you need to go deal with this. So he goes down in chapter 15, and he challenges him. He's like, what are you doing? God said kill all the animals. And he's like, well, we just, we did. We killed everything, but we saved, like, the really good ones so that we could sacrifice them to God. Isn't that great, you know? And before we get too critical of Saul... I think we should ask ourselves how often we do the same thing. This is the one that might sting a little bit. How often do we not obey God and then try to make it sound holy to other people? But God knows the heart. So Samuel is like, no, that's God told you to do something and you didn't do it. And so God actually specifically just says, I'm done. He's not the king. You're like, no way. We're moving on. I'm going to anoint somebody else as king. And that's where our story really comes in. Saul tries. He admits, yes, I have sinned. I've disobeyed your instructions of the Lord's command. For I was, Oh, yeah. So here's the thing. Just in case you were wondering. But, yeah, that, but I mean, come on. God says kill it all. He, he just saves the best stuff to sacrifice to God. That's, that's honoring God, right? You know, because that's what he says first to Samuel. And Samuel's like, come on, dude. And he's like, okay, fine. And this is where he says, yes, I have sinned, and I've disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. So there's the real reason. The reason I want to put out is, hey, I mean, I'm just trying to honor God with everything. I mean, I'm taking care of it. I'm just doing it a little bit my way. I want to honor God. It looks good, you know. And, and God is like, absolutely not. 
And I mean, I would even probably think, man, this this Saul guy's right. He's straight up. Like, he, not only were we finally successful in a battle, he's taking the best stuff to give straight to God. He's not even keeping it for himself. And that would, to me, I'd be like, right on. You know, that's pretty awesome. And the whole time, God's like, no way, like not at all. Now I'm going to move on from you. So <laughs> God sees the heart. All right, guys, and He does admit it. I was afraid of the people, and I did what they demanded. I just tried to make it look good in front of everybody else. So, so we're in a weird spot. God's done with Saul, but Saul is still the king. So that's kind of where the plot starts to thicken. We've got a king here who God has helped. Like the, We demand a king God. God gives them a king. King's doing all right. Now king's doing not good. God moves on. He's still the king. What do we do now? And then... Uh, this is where we come in, right, in Samuel 16. And the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? For your, Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about this, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. That's all the instruction he gets. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. That's all he says. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him, and they said, do you come in peace? Now, if you'd been around in some of this judge's prophet's time, you can read some of these stories. These guys were no joke. And so people weren't always like, oh, yay, the guy showed up, you know. These kind of guys sometimes would be like, and there will be no rain for a long time. So they're like, look, can you like not do that? You know? And so they were like, do you come in peace? That's what that's all about. They were kind of freaked out by these guys. Samuel was like, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come and sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So he's got it. Got all the sons. Got the guy. I'm doing what God said, right? When he arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought this old he said surely the Lord uh, the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord so now look how he uses anointed right I'm going to go back to anointing in a little bit God's saying I want you to anoint another king anointing putting the oil on him and making a declaration now Samuel sees the guy the oldest you know surely that's the Lord's anointed surely just remember that we're going to come back to it But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And this is the memory verse for the kids. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. But before we get too critical of Samuel, we should probably ask ourselves, how often do we do the same thing? How often do we always judge everything by its outward appearance. We had an interesting experience this week, which I'll credit Kevin for both the event that I'm about to tell you and for the idea to share it today. Um, Kevin and John and I went for a couple of days kayaking on the Swanee River, which, if you haven't done, is cool and is like blacker than coffee. Like if you stick your hand underneath, you can't see it. And it's beautiful and extremely creepy at the same time. So as you go along, you're like, I was like, hey, John, how deep is this? He's like, I don't know, you know, 30 feet, 20 feet, I don't know. I mean, and it, it does go, you know, but you have no idea. And so 
as we wind around, we happen upon this really, really cool rope swing, and it needed to be tried. And judging by the outward appearance, the water was probably like 20 feet deep. But the rope swing was really high, and so we had to figure out how to... John had shoved his paddle in at one area, so I knew that at least, you know, 10 inches of it was paddle depth. (laughs) But we stood up there for a while, because it was high, and we weren't confident. So I climbed up the tree to swing the rope over and swung it over to Kevin. And that's when this kind of thing comes to mind of, you know, judging by outward appearances, uh, this looks totally fine. But like I said, this water's like coffee, and about a foot down, you can't see anything. So I told John, I was like, if I go first, with my luck, there'll be like some 1960s Volkswagen that is washed in, and I'm going to land on it and like jam through my leg, and I won't even be able to get up, and we don't believe in luck, as, but it, you know. It's a story. So I told him, I was like, oh, there'll be a refrigerator down there or something that I'll land on. So we thought about swimming down, but we had to climb all the way up to where we were. And so I'd swung the rope over to Kevin. And so we found out that the best way to figure out how deep the water actually is, what, at the heart of the river, like we look at the outward appearance, we can see this much. It looks fine. But what's at the heart? The best way to find that out is to let Kevin go first. And then... <laughs> And then we found out it was totally fine, and there were probably less alligators now that Kevin had scared them all away. I, don't have, I didn't bring any photos of that, but it was really cool. But it was a perfect example of like, yeah, if you looked at this whole river, um, it all looked the exact same, and it all looked like it was infinity depth, you know, but then you'd hit a log, and you're like, gosh, I mean, that wasn't even, so uh, looks can be deceiving and incongruous with reality. This is my... SAT word of the day. Incongruous just means, you know, out of whack. That's my lame definition. So uh, I would say this. When we talk about God looking at the heart, a couple things to remember about that. Uh, one is that it kind of cuts both ways. You know, there, we always think of, like, the good side of it because we we're talking about David here. You know, we're talking about David and Goliath, you know. And as Americans, we're like, oh, the underdog, man, totally. You know, we're the upstart nation that kicks, you know, throws off the, you know, British Empire and all this. Like, we kind of, we still think this way, you know. So we always love, you've underestimated this little basketball team from this remote town, and then they're going to come up and, you know, that kind of thing. We love that. But it also goes the other way, you know, where, like, you might seem like Saul have it all put together, and you don't have anything. So it cuts both ways. Sometimes people look good and they're bad, and sometimes people look bad and they're good. But it also isn't like 100% that way. Sometimes people look good and they are good. Sometimes people look bad and they are bad. The truth is, God knows the heart. And he calls us to live (laughs) congruously, I guess you can say that, so that we uh, are the same on the heart and on the outside. That's really the calling of Christian people. Whole people live that way. Jesus lived that way. We just saw Jesus living that way. We tend to live uh, in varying levels of uh, discord between those two things. So you don't know. You can't just go, well, that guy looks good, so he's probably bad. It doesn't work that way. 
The hopeful side of this is that nothing happens, goes unseen. Because people mistreat people and people think nobody cares. God cares. God knows the deepest hurts that we've experienced from other people. The, the, the saddest night that you've ever had, God saw that, and God cares about that. That's the good part about it. God cares about every single thing. The challenging part is that nobody gets away with anything ever when it comes to God, you know. And I don't think I really need to, like, drive that point home, because when God shows up, every time in the Bible, people are freaked out, and they're like, well, like I'm, I'm not a holy person. Even Peter, when he encounters Jesus and first realizes, we didn't see this in John, it's in another gospel, when he sees who Jesus finally is, he's like, you need to get out of my boat, because, like, we're not, I can't be around, like, I'm a bad guy, you know. And Jesus is like, no, no, I want you to be, like, the main guy with me. And he's like, that doesn't make sense, you know. So what God does and how we think are just not the same way. But he's inviting us to think that way. Verse 8. So the first son, out. That's not the guy. Okay, Jesse calls Abinadab and let him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, and Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So if I was him, I'd be like, you brought all your sons out, and God said no to all of them. So I look foolish. But he's like, is this all of your sons? I mean, are there any ones left? Because we've got to know on all these. And this shows you how unlikely this is. Because Jesse's like, well, there is still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep, you know. So that just shows you how unlikely this whole thing was. Like, like I got invited with the prophet to do some stuff with all my sons, and he didn't even get the invite. Like, yeah, he's busy, you know. So Samuel says, well, send for him. We're not going to even sit down till he arrives. So he sent for him, and it brought him in. He was glowing with health and fine appearance and handsome features. We're not worried about that because we're not looking at the appearance. And the Lord says, rise and anoint him. This is the one. That's the important thing. Not that he looked the part, but that God said, arise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. And Samuel went to Ramah. So... He gets anointed king. And so we're saying, saying anointing. A lot of people like to misuse this word in parts of the church. Anointing is, we talk about like smearing with oil. And it's to consecrate something for a holy purpose. The priests were anointed. The kings now are being anointed. Items were anointed. They were consecrated and set apart. And it's something that God is doing. And that we, that these people were doing, the priests were doing, the prophets were doing, on behalf of God for a purpose. It isn't just like an indication of talent. Like when Samuel first sees the first, he's like, ah, that's the Lord's anointed. That's tends to how we like to talk. That guy looks anointed. He probably is. It doesn't necessarily mean so. It's what God has done. And it's not something that you can just try harder to do or be. So it's not good to use that word that way. And it's, it's an action done on behalf of God. It's not like the result of an election. He's not like saying, hey, David, we just took up a poll you know, and you win, you know, doesn't have anything to do with like that. It's a public declaring of God's will and intention. And so David's in a weird spot because he's the shepherd kid who was not even included in the sons, which is kind of a bummer. And then now he's anointed king. And that's a big deal. And it says the Lord's powerfully came upon David and you go back to your sheep, I guess, because 
prophet goes on. He doesn't say, all right, like when he, when he, when, if you read earlier when he encounters Saul, he's like, you're going to be the king and here's what you're going to do and here's how we're going to do it. Da, 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 da. None of that. Like, all right, I'm going to anoint you king. Bye. So that's a really weird moment, I think. And I will just say, that's really often how God works. I've seen this a lot uh, in my life. I've seen it in other people's lives where God will show up or through someone or something and nothing changes. Or sorry, everything changes, but nothing changes. You see what I'm saying? Everything at the heart changes and nothing at the appearance changes. Okay? David is a different person after this, but nobody would even know. And the story gets weird as we go forward. Um, so David is anointed king, but Saul is still the king. So the plot think the plot thickens. Dun dun dun. So this last part of this is 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 kind of this weird starting to connect together the uh, the storylines. So the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So now dude's on his own, and he's not doing well, all right? Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the liar. And he will play when the evil spirit of God comes on you, and you will feel better. As a musician, this is interesting to me. This weird interaction between music and spiritual things seems to be something everybody just got, because I wouldn't think, that's the first thing we should do. Get a guitar guy in here, and it'll just make things better but i think we all know the spiritual power of music but i just think this is this is just interesting to me so saul said to his attendants find someone who plays well and bring him to me (laughs) one of the servants answered i have seen a son of jesse of bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre he is a brave man and a warrior he speaks well he's a fine looking man and the lord is with him so saul sent messengers to, to jesse and said send me your son david who is with the sheep like i said he was anointed king, and they're like, back to the sheep, buddy. You know, that'll mess with you for a little bit. But now the king wants you to come hang out. And you're like, okay, maybe this is working out after all. Um, but also awkward, because you know something he doesn't know that's not very good to him, you know? <laughs> so Jesse took a donkey, with, loaded it with bread and skin and wine, a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. And Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. So earlier chapters, Saul gathers up people to be like his, you know, fighting people. Like, guys, he liked you. He's like, this guy's great. You need to come with me. And he was doing this. So this is the same thing he was doing. So now David has moved from being like six degrees to Kevin Bacon to like two or one. You see what I'm saying? But again, he's like, Kevin Bacon, I'm about to be Kevin Bacon. So you're... They're going to be saying degrees to me now. That's awkward, you see. It doesn't seem to say anything about it yet. Whenever the Spirit of God came on Saul, the Spirit from God, not Spirit of God, I said that. Whenever the evil Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul and he would feel better and evil Spirit would leave him. So that's where the story ends today. David, out of nowhere, God's like, that's the guy I want to be king. He's the one that I really want. And by all outward appearances, one, that's a bad idea. Two, most people probably didn't think Saul was doing a bad job at all. Samuel knows because the prophet and God told him. David now is anointed. So it's like when he goes to anoint him, he doesn't even, he's like, that's the last on my list of people I would think I would anoint. This guy's not anything. He's, you know, it's just a 
he's the kid of the whatever, you know, but he's obedient and he does it. And now David's kind of king and kind of not, and Saul's still kind of king and kind of not, and now they're interacting. And we're going to see more next week when Avi gets here how that really goes to a head. And then it starts to get really dramatic and, you know, soap opera type ways almost, you know. So there's a lot of drama in this whole thing. But remember, God was like, I'm the king. The whole, like, that's what, I'm the king. That's what this whole thing is about. You know, other people had to have people kings. You get God as a king. That's awesome. And they're like, no, we don't want that. And God's like, okay, I'll give you a king. But see, God's not like surprised when we do stupid things or silly things or out of his plan things, you know. He's not surprised by them. He's God. He knows the way we are. He knows how things are going to go. So listen to this verse in Jeremiah. In those days at at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. This is written afterwards. He will do what is just and right in the land. So who's he talking about there? Jesus. So all of a sudden, this king situation that God's like, I don't think that we should do this. I don't, you know, I know that you shouldn't do it. He says, okay, I'll do it. He knows the whole time that Jesus' lineage is going to come from David. If you look in the the front end of a couple of the gospels, there's uh, they got it written down. Kevin, which one is it that has the? He'll look it up. You can look. Matthew has one. I can't remember the other one. But they have the lineage in there. And What? Luke. And so uh, God knew this the whole time. And Jesus is the true king of Israel. So in the end, God does. He is king of Israel in the end. You know, the king of Israel is the king of the universe. And so you look at this in Mark. Mark 12 here. We have Jesus. You know, While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, and he quotes David, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how then can he be his son? And the Lord's crowd listened to him with delight. So Jesus knows who he is, knows what he's doing. Jesus is God after all, and he's, he's weaving this whole thing together. And so you see that comes out of this that God sees the heart of every man. God sees the good and God sees the evil, and God knows that we needed a savior from sin. So he sent his son, Jesus, the true and everlasting king of Israel, coming in David's line, which was an idea that he was saying, this isn't something you should even do. So if we start to think we've screwed our lives up, you got to, you know, when it talks about God being able to work everything together for the good of those who love God and are called to his purpose, you can't screw up your life more than God can fix it, okay? God knew that we needed a savior, and he knew that this was how this was going to work out. But he'll even give us concessions um, just for our own sake. I don't know, for a relationship. It's kind of like you give something to your kid. You're like, I know this isn't the best thing, but, you know. And we've seen, studying John, all that Jesus would do and teach would reveal who God was and ultimately lead to his death on a cross for our sins and resurrection back to life, revealing his true power over sin and death. And Jesus offers that saving power to us if you simply call on his name and recognize him as the true king of Israel, the true king of the universe, and more intimately, the true king over your life 
and your heart. Kayla had to leave, so I'm going to play a song at the end. We're going to sing the, um, I guess I can think of the name of the song now, the I Bow Down song. I think we need to start, we're talking about the anointing of David as king, but really what I want us to start looking towards is how this is pointing towards Jesus as king and how Jesus is king over our hearts as we're his followers, Okay. And I think that singing I Bow Down is uh, an important thing to sing at the end. But I need someone to come read this. Does anyone want to come read this? This last, it's like a little paragraph. Is anyone bold? Okay, good. So she's going to read this, and then we're going to sing. I want you to stand while she reads this. And we'll sing this song just to close uh, really quick. And then we'll have soup. Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See you. 